2 Timothy chapter 3 this morning, looking at the guide today. First, it's good to be back with you all after a few weeks away. Good to see, see your all's faces again. Uh, last week, I'll just say we began together a new series on the journey of discipleship, and we looked there last week with the idea of the destination, starting there with that in mind. Uh, we know any successful journey is going to begin with the destination in mind. And for us, we said that destination is that we would be making disciples. The resurrected Jesus, with all the authority of heaven and earth, he's commanded us to do just that, to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded. That is our destination. That's where this journey of discipleship is taking us. But the beautiful part of this is that it's also the journey itself, the journey that we're called to walk in our lives as we go through the years that God gives us, maybe the, the decades if God is gracious to give us those on this earth that we have on this planet as we walk with Jesus. Our journey is also to be about making disciples. It's not something where one day we're going to wake up and tomorrow and say, we've arrived, we've made all the disciples, we know that there will still be work to do until Jesus comes again, until he calls us home to be with him. But on the other hand, when we, so when we view this journey of discipleship, we view the destination and the journey together. And so we're on this journey of discipleship, and we know the destination. The next thing we want to consider this morning, then, is the guide. The guide. I, I love to travel. I don't know if anybody else loves to travel, but I love to see and experience new places. I've always got a list of places, of trips that I want to take, of places I want to go, um, which has been one of my least favorite things about the pandemic is some of those trips have had to go on hold, right? I'm kind of stir crazy at this point. I just want to be able to get on a plane and go somewhere or get in the car and drive and not have to think about it or plan as far as any of the pandemic stuff goes. And while the pandemic has prevented me from going on as many trips as I would have Otherwise, one thing that it hasn't done has prevented me from planning trips. I can still plan just as many trips, actually, even more. I just don't get to ever go on those trips, right, which isn't nearly as fun. But I do, luckily, I do love planning a trip from the itinerary to the route to the accommodations, the restaurants, the attractions. I love diving into all that, the local customs and history and language, all of that stuff. And some of you are looking at me right now like I've completely lost my mind because you're more on the opposite end of the spectrum. You're more on the tra your approach to travel is more like, you know, we'll just plan to leave on Friday or if we don't get around to it, we'll leave Saturday and then we'll just drive until we get tired and we get there, right? That's your approach. And if you like chaos, then who am I to, to judge? So there's nothing wrong with that. We're wired differently. Right? But while I find joy in planning a trip and the endless research that goes with it, that might not be your style, but regardless, I think we can agree on this, that a good guide is important for a journey. A good guide can be invaluable on a journey. And so years ago, if you were taking a road trip, your guide would have been a physical map, right? Maybe a road atlas that you would take with you that would guide you along the way. Somebody was in the passenger seat guiding, or you had to stop and open the maps and look at it and figure out where you needed to make your next turn. And then I remember growing up as we would go on trips, we would go to AAA and we would get the trip tick for our trip and they would highlight it all. And we would flip that page as we made it 
on to the next page. It felt like we were really accomplishing something every time we got to turn another page there. Um, but then came the first GPS systems, and you could put in your destination, and then a voice was there guiding you along the way, right? Sticking there on your windshield, ready to go until it would just randomly fall off in the middle of the trip. But then, then it got even better. Then we got our, our iPhones with the, all of the things that went along with that Google Maps or, or your smartphone, whatever you use, Google Maps or Waze or whatever it is that tells you down to the minute when you're going to arrive and is going to warn you of any hazards along the way. And so we all know the value of a good guide, especially when we're going somewhere we've never been before. But we also know the shortfalls that come with each of those guides. We mentioned some of them, but especially back in the days of physical maps or road atlases, new roads were being built all the time, or roads would get moved, and nobody was going to come and collect your old map from you and say, you need to update this, here's a new one, right? You had to take care of that on figuring that out on your own. And even with the old GPS systems, you might have had this experience where you're driving down the road, and all of a sudden, it appears on the map that you're just driving across the middle of a field, and the voice on there says, return to the highlighted route, as if you didn't have any more sense than to just drive off across the middle of a cornfield on your eight-hour drive. But as it comes to Google Maps or whatever you use now, right, if your phone dies or you don't have cell service, there are issues with that. There are downsides, there are pitfalls, there are weaknesses to each of those types of guides. And when those things break down, it reminds us that the best guide, the best guide for any journey, the best guide for life is a personal guide. If you're visiting a new place, having a friend or family member who has been there before, or even better, who lives there and knows it well, that can walk with you or drive with you or guide you, that is the best. The best guide is a personal guide because they they know you, they know your journey, they know your destination, they want you to have a good time. And so thankfully, this morning, on the journey of discipleship, that is what we have, is a personal guide. Let's look together at how we find that guide in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. As he writes to Timothy here, Paul lays out two ways to live here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, really. In verse 13, he has written about evil people and imposters. He says, these people are ones who will go on from bad to worse. He talked about how some would pose as followers of Jesus, who would appear to be disciples of Jesus, but they would go on from the path of Jesus. But he says in verse 14, where we started this morning, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and believed. It's literally just to continue to be present, to remain, to abide. And so he says, some are going to think there's a new way. Some are going to get on the journey of discipleship, and they're going to think, I've got a better way figured out here, or this sounds like it is more appealing. This seems like there might be a shortcut over here. But on the journey of discipleship, 
The Bible is the only sure guide. Paul gives Timothy four reasons that we should continue in the Word of God here to remain with the Bible, four reasons that are instructive for us on our journey of discipleship. So this morning, first of all, we see on the journey of discipleship, the Bible is the only sure guide because it is personally recommended. It's personally recommended to us. Back in the fall, I took a week off and was able to take a trip. I decided that hiking was a pretty pandemic-proof activity. And so I did some searches and came up with the idea that I would visit Hot Springs National Park and do some hiking. And it was beautiful. There were lots of trails to explore, plenty of restaurants with delivery and carryout to enjoy. And so I was set for a good week, except for those decisions of which restaurants to try and things like that. And we can go on Yelp or TripAdvisor or Google or something and look at those reviews. Those reviews are helpful because those are personal recommendations. But they aren't foolproof because we know that all personal recommendations are not created equal because we've all got friends whose recommendations carry more weight than others just based on their past performance. Right? Anyway, the Sunday before I left, I had mentioned that I was going on that trip and Roland and Angie had just actually said they'd been there a few couple months before to Hot Springs last summer, and they were able to offer me some personal recommendations. And so they got themselves on the good side of that personal recommendation ledger, thankfully. Uh, although I think Roland might have just recommended Rolando's restaurant because of the name mainly, but it was really good. Point being, though, I'll view any future recommendations from the Hans more favorably because of that track record. While there are others whose recommendations I've taken in the past and concluded, right, we just have different tastes when it comes to food. So the character, the quality of the witnesses matter. The track record of those making recommendations to us, those who teach us and guide us, makes a difference in how we receive truth and how we receive information. That's what Paul's message here is to Timothy. It's to stay on the path of what he's learned and believed, to stay on the path of God's word because he knows who he learned the truth from. He talks about here from his childhood, he had been acquainted with these sacred writings. And Paul may be pointing here to his own life as he does earlier in this chapter, but since he references Timothy's childhood, I have to believe he's going farther back in Timothy's life as he does in 2 Timothy 1.5, saying, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. I have no doubt that many of us in this room would share Timothy's story in this regard, being blessed with mothers and grandmothers who handed off their faith to you. It was undoubtedly Lois and Eunice who made sure that Timothy was acquainted with these scriptures. They were the ones who taught him the word of God. And here's Paul saying, don't step away from, Paul, from God's word now, Timothy. Don't believe the lie that there is a better path. You might not understand everything about your life. You might not understand the hardships or the persecutions that you face in the moment, Timothy, but know who taught it to you. Remember who taught this to you. Remember your grandmother and your mother. You've seen their faith. You watched them walk through difficulties in life. You watched God continue to be faithful to them time and time again. And so for us, church, we also know those faithful men and women who have taught us the scriptures over the course of our lives. And we know their track record. 
We know their example. The character and quality of the witnesses matter. It's critical for the journey of discipleship to which we are called. It highlights the surety of the word of God when you remember saints you have known in your life who continued in the faith to the very end of their lives through pain and sickness and all the way to the point of death, continuing to trust and to sing about the victory that they have in Jesus. And so today, we can remember those who have personally recommended the truth of God's word to us, who have taught us in his ways. We can give thanks to the Lord for their examples. And if you're able this week, then express your gratitude to those people who have invested in your life in that way, because they did what we are all called to do. And that's point others to the only sure guide for this life. The character of those who point us to Christ matters. Because the flip side of that highlights the danger that comes with listening to the wrong people, of those who have gone on from the truth of God's word. Already Paul described those who claim the name of Christ, but their lives reveal them to be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God says they have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. And so he says, avoid such people. On the journey of discipleship, the Bible is the only sure guide. And so it is a guide that comes to us personally recommended. And as a result, we should choose carefully who we learn from. Choose carefully who you learn from. If you want to know whether someone will be a trustworthy guide when it comes to teaching God's word, then look at their life. Look at their track record. Do you see there evidence of faith and patience and love, steadfastness, or do you see pride, greed, abuse, anger, slander, and recklessness? It's a test we can apply to those around us who disciple us, and also in this age, it's a test we can apply to those whose books we read or whose teachings we consume online. It's not a perfect test, right, because a greedy person can sometimes say the right thing when it comes to generosity, right? They can know the right thing to say. But at the same point, if we follow someone who's going to the wrong place, we'll eventually wind up where they're leading. If they're, where they're leading is to their own selfish gain and their own preferred outcome, then if we follow them, we'll wind up where they want us to go and not where the Lord has called us to go. And so we need to be careful who we learn from. Those who make disciples should show evidence of faith and testify to the faithfulness of God. So on the journey of discipleship, the Bible is the only sure guide, not only because it is personally recommended, though, but also because it points us to Christ. It points us to Christ. Not only do we know those who have taught us God's word and see God's faithfulness in their lives, but the scriptures are also, verse 15, able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Break that down into a couple of pieces here. First of all, the scriptures are able. They have the power to make you wise for salvation. Implied there is the idea that we need to be made wise for salvation. Maybe this morning this is a reminder to you, or maybe it's news to you, but left to our own abilities and inclinations on the journey of life, we're all hopelessly lost. It's not that we aren't trying to figure out our way as we go, but the problem is what the Bible describes as our foolish inability to see the world and to see our own lives clearly. Our attempt solely to just reason our way out of sin and the path that it takes us down 
don't carry the same ability that God's word carries. Back in chapter 2 of this letter, Paul described the lives of Hymenaeus and Philetus in chapter 2, verse 18, as those who have, quote, swerved from the truth. They're men who appeared to receive the truth and accept the guidance of God's word, but then something happened and they swerved off course into their own ideas. Beware of those who use the language of God's word, but then promote unbiblical teaching. In chapter 3, Paul describes the danger, in verse 7, of those who are always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. I mean, we live today in an age of knowledge and access to information that I would venture to say Paul couldn't have even imagined. But what remains true is this, the power to save is not found in my words or yours or whatever information or theories we're able to find on the internet. The power to save is only found in the word of God, the word of the one who spoke the universe into existence. And now, as Hebrews says, has spoken to us through his son. So the Bible is the only sure guide for discipleship because it points us to Jesus Christ. It's able to make us wise for salvation, not through our own intellect, not by giving us the perfect itinerary to follow by which we can rehabilitate our own righteousness. The Bible doesn't point us to salvation based on our own good works, but to salvation that produces good works in us. It points us to the good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived in perfect righteousness. He died on the cross, the death that our sin deserves. He was buried and raised on the third day. That is what the Bible is about. And so as Paul wrote to Timothy about the sacred writings of his childhood, yes, Paul would have been mainly writing here about what we call the Old Testament, but Paul's still arguing here that all of it is pointing us to Jesus. All of it's pointing us to Christ. As we saw last fall, as we walked through the unbroken story of God's promise to redeem a people for himself, we saw Paul arguing here the same thing, that God didn't get to the end of the Old Testament and then look... the. God the Father didn't at that point look to the Son and say, well, I really thought that was going to work. Maybe now, now you go try. Right? No, that wasn't what happened. He didn't get to that point and say that. He said at that point, now it is time. And so in the fullness of time, God sent Jesus to walk a, live a perfect life, to die for our sins, and to be raised on the third day. The Bible is the only sure guide for our journey of discipleship because it points us away from our foolish and sinful self-reliance, and it drives us into the rescuing arms of Christ. The Bible both reveals, and then it solves our greatest and our deepest problem, that we all want to be our own guide. I mean, does anybody really like having to stop and ask for directions on a trip? No. Does anybody like to admit that they don't know where they're going? No, we all want to be our own guide. We all want to project this image that we've got it figured out and that we know what's going on. We would rather drive around lost for days than to, than to stop and ask for directions on our way. And while we do that, we might be learning ways not to get where we want to go, but ultimately we aren't really arriving at our destination either. And when it comes to knowing Jesus and trusting him for salvation, the good news is we don't have to waste time driving around in circles, searching for where we need to go. We can place our faith 
in Jesus because he has revealed himself to us in his word and he has revealed his plan for our lives as well. And so we can put an end to the lostness of our self-reliance and we can place our faith in him. And so if God's word is able to make us wise for salvation in Christ Jesus this morning, we need to accept God's plan of salvation. We need to accept his plan of salvation. What does that look like? It's exactly the opposite of just relying on ourselves and our own abilities. It's the wisdom to confess that we're lost and that we need help, that we need help to find our way. It's the wisdom to trust that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the way, the truth, and the life. This morning, I would just ask you, have you ever accepted God's plan of salvation for your life? That's where the journey of discipleship begins today. Others, this morning, you would say, yes, I have. I placed my faith in Jesus, but then you swerve from the truth into the endless spiral of your own effort or your own ideas as if Jesus put you on this path of discipleship, but then he kind of walked away and said, you'll figure it out from here. But we saw last week, didn't he promise that he would be with us to the end of this age? Still, still this morning, others would say you've accepted God's plan of salvation for your life, but you've slipped off into the foolishness of ignorant controversies and quarrels, condemning others instead of extending to them the same free offer of grace that you've claimed for yourself. This morning, God's calling us to accept his plan of salvation through faith in Jesus. On the journey of discipleship, the Bible is the only sure guide. It's personally recommended. It points us to Christ. And third, it is perfectly inspired. Verse 16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. Language here is both universal and unique. It's universal in terms of the scope of scripture. He says, Paul does all scripture. All scripture is breathed out by God. The time of his writing that included certainly the Old Testament, but we know it also was already including many portions of the New Testament. We know that by the time that, for example, 2 Peter chapter 3 was written, even Paul's writings were considered by the church to be among the scriptures. And so we would say what we have contained in our Bibles are what we hold to be included in this designation here, all scriptures. That is because as Paul goes on to say, the words of scriptures are breathed out by God. This is the unique nature of the Bible, of the scriptures. Paul uses this word here that's this rare combination of the words God and breathe, literally translated as God breathed. The words of scripture are the very words of God, perfectly inspired by him. And in them, we hear the very voice of our God. I mean, yes, they're written down by Paul. The gospels are written down by human authors. So when the Psalms were written down by David, for example, but 2 Peter 1.21 describes this mystery of how God inspires the scriptures saying, 2 Peter 1.21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so yes, yes, these words are Paul's and Peter's and Matthew's, but they are also the perfectly inspired words of God, not just in their sentiment or ideas, but down to the detail. And so through the personalities of these human authors, God's voice cuts through loud and clear. And that is why the Bible is able to make us wise for salvation by pointing us to Jesus. It's not because Paul is extremely persuasive. 
It's because the Spirit is powerful. And yet we find ourselves often drawn to other voices, accumulating for ourselves teachers to suit our own passions, turning away from the truth and wandering off into myths. And I know, I know, we usually look at that passage and we point to others, not ourselves. It's never when we quote it in American evangelical circles, us that we're talking about, we're talking about the ills of society. But the truth is that all Scripture is breathed out by God and in all of it. 2 Timothy 4 included, we hear the voice of our God calling to us, calling us back. If we've wandered off into moral relativism, if we've wandered off into sin, to sin or into other wannabe gospels of politics or prosperity or power or pleasure, whatever it may be, God graciously calls us back. And when we get tired of the voice on our GPS, we can change the voice. And you can go in and change the accent or dialect or language or whatever you want to do. And in that case, no harm, no foul, as long as you can understand the voice that you're listening to. But not so when it comes to the word of God. In John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Those who belong to Jesus follow the voice of Jesus. And so if that's what we hear when we open God's word, then we need to commit, commit to learning God's word. On this journey of discipleship, we're going to do that in several ways. We're doing it right now as we open God's word together in worship. We'll do it in our own personal reading time and devotional life. We'll do it in smaller groups where we discuss and apply God's word to our lives. We'll do it by memorizing and hiding God's word in our hearts. We'll do it by praying God's word so that his word and his will are central to our thinking and our believing and our walking. Is that our commitment, though, this morning? Do our priorities for our time, the way we use our time, the voices that we listen to, the information we consume, does it make sense if the creator and redeemer of the universe has spoken to us through his word and desires every single day of our lives to speak to us through his word? Commit to learning God's word. On the journey of discipleship, the Bible is the only sure God because it's personally recommended. It points us to Christ. It's perfectly inspired and finally, it's profitable for right living. Profitable for right living. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scriptures breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Not only is God gracious in our lives to give us people who teach us his truth and those who, whose lives testify to his faithfulness and his goodness, but he also calls us to do the same for others. That's the work of disciple-making. And not only is God gracious to declare us righteous through faith in the saving work of Jesus, but he also calls us to grow in Christ-likeness as we represent Jesus to those around us. And so how does he bring about that Christ-likeness in our lives, that practical, lived-out righteousness that he describes here as good work? He does it through his life-giving and life-changing word. 
Remember these words in the Bible, not my words or your words, but those in the Bible are perfectly inspired by God. And so it is no coincidence here that Paul chooses to use the word profitable. He could have used another word, as he does at other times. Maybe he could have said that these things produce teaching or they produce right living or that they result in those things. But instead here, he talks about the prophets of a life guided by the word of God because he's putting it in direct contrast to what he's described earlier in this chapter, a very different kind of prophet. Those who seek the prophet of other things, look at verses 2 through 4, chapter 3. It says, those who are lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Once again, we would misapply these verses if we read them and just abstractly said, yeah, those describe people who love pleasure more than they love God. Applying these verses means applying them to our own lives. And their concern here in their context is, I think that we would consider whether at some points in our lives these words describe us. The false teachers that Paul warned about here, they didn't wear name tags or a shirt or a badge that said, or a hat or something that said, I'm a false teacher on it. The language Paul uses doesn't even indicate that they woke up one day and made some conscious decision to become a false teacher or to go down this path, but What we know from our own travels is all the guides in the world don't do us any good if we don't actually listen to them, look to them, and follow them. You could set out on a trip and you could fill your car full with maps, paper maps or whatever kind of map, so that when you open the door, maps just fall out everywhere, right? But that wouldn't necessarily help you if you weren't willing to open the first one and take a look at it. The difference between the way of the false teachers and the journey of discipleship that we're called to is whether or not we actually will trust and believe and then follow what God's word has to say. It's whether we're seeking the prophets of greed and pleasure or the prophets of godliness and grace. When we come to God's word seeking his way instead of our own, then it is profitable in our lives to teach us. It teaches us the way God has called us to live, shows us the right path, and it lights our way, as the psalm says. And along the journey, it's profitable for reproof. That is, it will test our lives. As we read God's word, it will reveal to us when we are in danger of swerving from the path of Jesus. But it's not just in that moment even an alarm that sounds. It's also, Paul says, profitable for our correction, When you've taken the detour into sin, God's word is able to bring you back to the road of right living. And then once we're on the right path, it trains us for righteousness. God's word builds up our our muscle memory for biblical, ethical living that follows the way of Christ so that every decision that we come to, every day that we live is not a great 
ethical crisis where we're wondering which way to go, but that as we're following after Jesus, we begin to learn and remember what we should do as we come to certain situations. His word trains us for righteousness, trains us to be more like Christ. And so for us, the call today is let God's word guide your life. God's word is profitable for right living, and it is able to produce in you good works that declare the grace and glory of Jesus to the world around us. The danger for us is that we would come and fill our minds up with God's word, but never actually follow the path that he's laid before us. If there's an approach to God's word that puffs us up with pride and knowledge instead of conforming us to the humility of Christ. And some of us will do just that. We'll spend our whole lives collecting maps, but never really opening them to see where we are or figure out where we're going. And so this morning, I'll just ask you, are you letting God's word guide your life? As you read and reflect and memorize God's word, are you also applying it and living it out? Are you letting it test and reprove your life? Are you letting it teach you and correct and train you? Or to ask it this way, maybe, is God's word the guide by which you interpret your life? Or is your life the guide by which you interpret God's word? On the journey of discipleship, the Bible is the only sure guide. It's personally recommended. So this morning, who are you learning from? Do they point you to God's faithfulness and call you to trust in Christ? Or do they point you to their own virtue and call you to follow after them and to go the way they want you to go? The Bible is a guide that points us to Christ. And so if you ever accepted God's plan of salvation for your life, are you relying on yourself or on Jesus to save you? If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to talk with you more about taking that step. Are you relying on yourself or on Jesus to save those around you, though? As you share God's word, are you trying to drive people to a faith that you're not able to produce in them? Or are you trusting that God's word is able to produce in them what he intends for it to accomplish, that it will produce faith as they hear his truth? The Bible is a guide that is perfectly inspired. Are you committed to hearing God's voice and to learning his word? Are you reading, hearing, discussing, meditating, applying, and memorizing God's word so that you know who you are, whose you are, and where God is leading you to go? And then last, the Bible is a guide that is profitable for right living. And so the question is, are you applying and obeying God's word in your life? Are you walking in his path or trying to Forge your own and clear your own as you go. To go back to where we started this morning with the journey of discipleship and our call to be making disciples, are you trusting and walking in God's word so that as Paul does with Timothy, you can invite others to follow you as you follow after Jesus? That's the example that Paul set. It was the life that he lived before Timothy, the life out of which these words were able to, able to flow And so as we walk with others, our call is to do just that, to invite others to walk with us as we walk with Jesus. That's the work of discipleship, and the Bible is the guide for that journey. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, today we we thank you. We praise you, Lord, for the guide that you have, have given to us. We thank you for your word and for your truth. The magnificent 
and glorious truths that we, that we find as we open your word together. We pray today that you would, you would help us to be a people who, who turn to your word, people who walk in accordance with your word, who are committed to learning it, to believing it, and to living it out in our, our lives. Wherever we are on that journey, Lord, whatever the next step is that you are calling us to take today, we pray that you would now, by, by your spirit, that you would convict us in our hearts, that you would convince us, Lord, of what we need to do and where you're calling us to go, the next step that you have for us, Lord, and that today we would be obedient in that step. Lord, if it's to, to talk to somebody more about about what it means to have a relationship with you, Lord. We pray that you would give us the boldness to just to ask that question. Lord, if it's the step of church membership, Lord, we pray that you would give us the, the obedience to do that, Lord. If it's the, if it's the boldness to, to reach out to a family member, to a friend, or to a coworker, to a neighbor, someone who you're calling us to, to share with, share your truth with, Lord, we pray that you would give us the, the boldness and the grace to, to do that, to be, your, to be your hands, your feet, to be your, your people, your ambassadors in this life, God. We pray today that as we continue now to worship you through singing, as we respond to your word today, that we would do just that, that we would respond obediently as you've called us and as you're leading us today, and that we would do it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.